0: If you create a space that cyclists feel safe riding in, then they will flock to it. And the more people that are out there using that space, the easier it is to point to that and say, look, if we build more of this, then more people who are out there looking for safe places to ride will then be riding on the additional routes and safe places that we create. We
1: dropped in bike lanes, but we never really said, how is it connected? You know, just pull up a map of Los Angeles and put on a bike layer on Google, and you just see that nothing connects to each other. That is not an expectation that we have for drivers. There's some expectation that you can use the facilities that we build to get to the places that you're trying to go. And we want to have that same assumption in the conversations around bicycles. Clean
2: air as a possibility for Los Angeles. We can see really that it is within our grasp. Again, a different way of living seems possible now.
3: Welcome to Bike Talk. It's uh, May 1st, Friday. It's your host, Don Ward, with uh, Nick Richard. We have Laura Crawford, U.S. Bicycle Route System Coordinator with Adventure Cycling Association. We have Eric Bruins, who's the Transportation Policy Director with. Council Member Mike Bonin, and we have Nithya Raman, the CD four candidate, who came within three thousand votes of the incumbent David Rue. Uh, very close race. That was that was amazing, and uh, she's going to be in the general in November. So we're going to have her on to uh, talk. First up, we have the headlines with
4: Taraneg. Hello, bike talk. I'm Taraneg from Havago again, here with your global bike news. Coronavirus still dominates the headlines and our lives. So too with our news today. So, cities continue opening up their streets to give more space for people to walk and bike. Two in particular have joined the 100 Mile Club. Portland and New York have committed 100 miles of open streets for residents to walk and cycle and maintain their physical and psychological well-being while safely physically distancing. Here in LA, we have some open streets developments as well. Pasadena, California has created a network of over 100 miles of slow streets with on-street signage. While this isn't a true Open Streets effort, the program does set an important precedent. The Delray Neighborhood Council announced a limited Open Streets initiative, the first in Los Angeles. Yet this was quickly followed by an announcement that there was going to be a hold on the program, citing the mayor and the county public health offices. Sticking with Open Streets for a moment, Populous launches a new platform to make it easier for cities to plan and implement Open Streets during the COVID-19 pandemic. Cities interested can apply at populist.ai. Apparently in Australia, bicycles are the new toilet paper. Bicycle retailers there are having a hard time keeping up with demand as people seek two-wheelers for exercise and mobility during the pandemic. So what happens after all these lockdowns? Is there going to be a new normal? As China is seeing a flood of new car buying and traffic post-corona, some cities are looking to cycling to avoid returning to auto gridlock and pollution. Paris is prepping for 650 kilometers of bike paths after the the lockdowns are eased. And Milan, Italy will implement a rapid road reconfiguration of 35 kilometers for more space for biking and walking. Publications are writing about the enormity of the burdens of cars on cities made evident by the lockdowns. Tom Vanderbilt writes in The Atlantic, Long streets suddenly devoid of traffic, Pedestrians get a fresh look at all the space that motor vehicles have commandeered. And the BBC even asks, are we witnessing the death of the car? Our last headline isn't directly related to the pandemic, but it sure can help cities in a new normal. In Slate magazine, Benjamin Schneider writes that while their dramatic popularity created some problems like sidewalk clutter and unsafe riding, shared electric scooters are changing cities for the better, making safer, healthier and greener streets that's all for today thank you so much guys
3: all right so it's bike talk on kpfk we're doing this via zoom so we're we're doing it but it's a little bit different than when we're in the kpfk studios but we're we're under covid um restrictions right now stay at home protocols yeah but uh our first guest is uh laura crawford laura crawford how are you doing
0: all right hi
3: hey laura hey laura Hey. So you're here to tell us, you're here to tell us, we're, we're focused a lot on these bike lanes in Los Angeles in the city, but you're here to tell us about a national bike route. Yes, tell us a whole,
0: a whole network of national bike routes. Yeah, the, uh, the U.S. bicycle route system uh, is a developing uh, national network of bike routes uh, designed to be long distance to connect uh, from city to across state uh, all the way across the country. Um, and what makes them different uh, from your sort of average bike route is that they go through a uh, approval process, wherein every jurisdiction, each uh, every community road agency that owns or manages a stretch of road or trail that a route uh, runs along, uh, has to actually signify their support. So they they know that it's there. Uh, They are involved in that process to direct cyclists onto the best roads or trails in the region, Um, and then it embeds the route uh, into our national transportation network uh, with the idea that then uh, those road agencies are aware that there are cyclists on that route uh, when they do future projects.
5: We have two routes in LA, right? 66 and 95? That's correct,
3: yes. So the U.S. bicycle route would come through Los Angeles. That's cool. That's good to know.
0: Yeah, there's, there are many uh, that will crisscross the whole country, and two of them will go through LA. Yeah. 95 yeah. comes down the Pacific coast, uh, down from Washington, Oregon, all the way down. Um, and 66 uh, is a bike-friendly version of historic Route 66. So it goes east from Santa Monica through LA. And then all the way up to Chicago. And oh, and cool. do
5: you <laughs> cities have to sign on? Is it all approved for Los Angeles?
0: Uh, we're getting there. Um, there's, it's been a long process um, with a lot of people um, being involved and, and the, you know, the, the Los Angeles city DOT is, um, you know, they've got their hands full. <laughs> they've got a lot of roads to manage. So it's currently uh, on their plate, um, but the city council is uh, in support and a number of uh, neighboring cities have all signed on. So um, that's definitely in our favor.
3: So what would it look like on the ground moving forward for uh, route 66, which is part of it is on sunset Boulevard. Am I not, am I mistaken? In echo park? Is that, is that where 66 goes through? You
0: know, I don't have the uh, exact alignment in front of me. Um, mm-hmm but there's there is the historic driving route sixty six and then there is u s bicycle route sixty six which uh, will follow uh, slightly different roads designed to uh, put cyclists on roads that either have a facility like a bike lane um, or onto uh, lower traffic lower speed side roads um, so I know that going through l a there's there's been a lot of discussion back and forth about Uh, which road uh, exactly or roads uh, to put the route on um, based on, you know, where there are those facilities, what uh, plans are in the works or in the future, uh, you know, for uh, improvements for cyclists. It's
5: just a designation, right? There's no infrastructure. Correct.
0: Yeah. It's not a, it's not a construction project. And that was done intentionally um, because we recognize that, you know, where, Uh, our road network right now is not at a place where we could say all routes need to be on a bike lane or on a separated trail facility uh, because we're just not there yet. Um, so we believe very strongly in you know, start from where we're at and then, uh, improve over time.
5: Um, And when you say we, that's adventure cycling. uh,
0: It's adventure cycling and it's also, um, everybody, uh, all, so all routes are approved by a national organization called AASHTO, Um and ASHTO stands for the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials. Uh, and pr- about a decade or so ago, uh, ASHTO convened a task force that uh, worked through the criteria and the designation process, um, and uh, so that was one of the things that they really uh, focused on was let's do this in a way that makes it feasible for where our cities and states are at right now and then encourages them to improve over time.
5: The uh, start from where we are is the philosophy. Um, And then once you have a a US bike route, I think the idea is that, well, a city knows they have people from all over the country coming through, they start to think, well, we should put some stripes down on the road or some bollards or maybe even better.
0: Yeah, that's definitely the hope is that, you know, by, by saying this is our you know designated bike route that goes through here, um, we're going to put some resources toward improving this uh, so that we have this really good quality route. Um, you know, so that they're not necessarily having to improve all roads um, for cycling, but, but picking the ones that make the most sense.
5: And how many miles and how many states do you have so far?
0: Yeah, so we have over 14,000 miles uh, designated across the country uh, in 27 states and Washington D.C.
5: You mentioned the the criteria for desi- for designating something a bike route. What do, can you tell us some of the criteria?
0: Each state uh, is uh, given uh, the ability to set criteria for uh, that particular state. So um, I don't know the the offhand exactly what Caltrans um, has dictated. Um, but most states have some level uh, you know level of service comfort level of service level of stress kind of um, formula that they look at so that they're looking for um, lower traffic lower speeds uh, wider shoulders, some sort of bike lane um, you know so a combination of space and low low traffic volume and speed um, so that it can be you know a more comfortable uh, ride
5: and and you have i've talk to you about this. You mentioned something called a concept called proving demand. Can you explain that?
0: (laughs) Yeah, proving demand is it's a kind of a complicated concept. But um, the idea is that um, if you if you create a space um, that cyclists feel safe riding in, uh, then they will flock to it, they will use it. Um, And what that does is it shows that um, when you you know that sort of if you build it they will come kind of a concept. Um, when there is that space and people feel safe, that's the space that they're going to use. And the more people that are out there using that space, the easier it is to point to that and say, look, if we build more of this, um, then more people will, who are out there looking for uh, safe places to ride will then be riding on you know the the additional routes and and safe places that we create.
5: Is that a a different way of saying induced demand, which is something we use for traffic? <laughs>
0: uh, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know all the ins and outs of induced demand.
3: Yes, we want, in, <laughs> we, we want induced demand for people to ride bikes, to choose to ride bikes, right? We want to induce that.
0: Yeah. So well, building
3: I, routes will induce that.
0: Right. Well, and I think if you look at what's happening right now with COVID that, you know, people are choosing to go outside to walk and bike and they're just using the streets because there there isn't the same level of traffic and they need to get outside and they need to keep that space. Right. So, um, you know, we're seeing that that if if there's not the traffic in the way that people choose to get out and and use those roads for um, reasons other than driving. There are a
3: lot more people walking. I've definitely seen a lot more people walking in the suburbs. I live out in the suburbs, and there's tons of people walking around here and riding. There's more people riding bikes, but there's definitely a lot of people walking. It's amazing. I always imagine those people as, as uh, a lot of them, uh, as the folks that normally go to a gym to, to walk on a treadmill, are now walking around their neighborhood because the gyms are closed. So. Maybe they'll see <laughs> something. <laughs> so right, but yeah, what, imagine yeah.
0: imagine if you know after all of this um, settles down, there's safe places for them to be in their neighborhood,
3: and <laughs> it would be amazing, right? So <laughs> let's let's get on that. We got to contact our uh, city council members, right? It, it locally here, the local powers that be, which actually brings up uh, our next guest, Eric Bruins. Nice. who is, <laughs> you like that one, you like that segue? <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's the Transportation Policy Director with Council Member Mike Bonin. Mike Bonin is like an ally of, in my opinion, of, you know, the safe streets, the cycling movement, public transit movement, all of that. Definitely. He's just a good, good guy. So he hires good people and Eric Bruns is there. Eric, are you
1: with us? Hello.
3: Hey Eric. hey, Eric, how's it going, man?
1: Good, how are you guys?
3: Great. Just hunkering down, you know, with, uh, with this, this stay at home, except that bicycling isn't canceled. So I go on a bike ride every single day. I've gone for the last 50 days, a bike ride every single day. That's amazing.
1: As long as you do it by yourself, no group rides.
3: Well, what if we stay 12 feet apart? <laughs>
1: Oh I don't know <laughs> I, I don't know what the what the science is, but uh I know if you're benefiting from their draft you're probably doing something wrong
3: right I mean probably huh. all their covid will like shed onto me behind them drafting that's not good, yeah, I only have one friend that I go on bike rides with, and we stay apart, so I don't know you know we're we're being pretty good about just staying home, but uh, you got to get out at like once a day at least some, after. yeah, so anyways, Eric, you've worked on this u.s bicycle route system as well right like you 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 did some big things tell us what tell us your involvement with the with this
1: yeah um adventure cycling association reached out to us um to ask that the city formally support the um the u.s bike route designations within the city of los angeles Um, and we were pleased to um, author the motion Uh, my boss mike Bonin. um you know, he was the one that introduced the motion to uh, to kind of set things uh, rolling um, inside the city. Um, so we we did a motion. I think it was back in January, um, which feels like about three years ago at this at this stage. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but but back then we we did introduce the motion that at, uh, did a couple things. One is it directed DOT to formally. Uh, endorse uh, the route through the city of Los Angeles which involves sending the support letter to Caltrans. We also said that you know once the route becomes official we do actually want DOT to install signage on it. We want people um, you know where this this passes through um, to actually know that they live along a U.S. bicycle route Um, and we want them to see a sign in their neighborhood that then causes them to ask some questions and say what is the U.S. bicycle route system what is you know what what is what is my connection to um, all of these places uh, elsewhere in the country, um, and really kind of you know the, the the whole idea that you could like see a sign on on a street you know in your neighborhood and be like oh you mean I can follow that to Chicago like that's kind of cool um, and really expand people's horizons uh, and then. You know, the the, the the next thing is um, we, we, you know, we obviously these, uh, these routes are inspiring and they, and they connect um, tourism opportunities uh, throughout, you know, beyond, beyond the city borders and beyond the, the state borders. Um, but also, you know, in, in Los Angeles, one of the challenges with bike planning is always trying to get, um, you know, routes to actually connect to each other. And so the idea that you would have these routes crisscrossing the city um, you know, and, and it just it just forces the conversation about, hey, you know, this route needs to connect. And so it might be on different streets, uh, you know, depending on facilities and, and, and traffic and all of that. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, like you need to figure out what those connections are, because right now, you know, our, our bike lanes are oftentimes driven by opportunity, um, instead of connections. Um, so, you know, this, this doesn't force any conversations, but I think it does um, open the door to the idea that, hey, you know, this route is signed, it should have some basic level of facility, um, even if that is just, you know, a bike may use full lane sign or something like that, you know, we, this isn't going to transform any particular street. But it should, it should start a conversation and establish some basic level of responsibility to provide um, you know, safety and support for cyclists as, they, as they're crossing the city of Los Angeles. Um, because we should be treating bike tourists like our guests. Um, you know, tourism is a huge industry in Los Angeles and we roll out the red carpet to anybody who lands at LAX. Why should it be any different if you're rolling in on Huntington Drive?
3: Yeah, you know, that is kind of the crux of the problem with our politics, too, though, is like the cyclists are seen as this minority, like 2% mode share or whatever. And so that's used politically against us so much and um, sort of hushes these type of projects when they could be. I mean, this sounds so fantastic, the way you, you put that, where it's like a bicycle route sign that says you can the end is in Chicago like amazing if you were a kid and you saw that you'd be like dreaming right so I love that I love the way that you uh that you uh put it so so I'm, yeah no, go ahead, another man. thing
5: I wanted to talk about that Eric said was um the what did you say, opportunity not connection like I, I'm thinking you're saying that uh too often these some kinds of roots are not Based on the network that needs to be there, but just wherever you're able to get practically to get a route put in.
1: Yeah, I mean that, that's exactly right. I mean often you know there was a there was a, t- a time particularly in the you know early 2010s after the the bike plan was passed where you know the, the mandate was as many miles as you can get every year, and what that resulted in is you know a lot of LA streets they are really narrow for a few blocks and they're really wide for a few blocks and they're really narrow for a few blocks and it's great. So on those wide blocks, we, we dropped in bike lanes. Um, but we never really said, you know, how to, how is it connected? So everybody who can, you know, just pull up a map of Los Angeles and put on a bike layer on Google and you just see that nothing connects to each other. And so I think, you know, that is not an expectation that we have for drivers. Uh, there's kind of an expectation that if you get on the 405, that it will, Take you somewhere and it doesn't just end um, and right. I want to turn any of you know use a freeway analogy for our streets but there is there's some expectation in in, in that you can use the facilities that we build to get to the places that you're trying to go um, and we want to have that same conversation um, you know the, the same assumption in the conversations around bike bicycling
5: well to go with the, uh, the freeway uh, term or metaphor there's Induced demand and proving demand, as Laura said. What if demand is not proven because the routes don't connect in a way that gets people using them? And Laura, we talked about this. How is how does that work?
0: (laughs) Well, I think one of the really important things to recognize about the the USBRs is that um, it's it's designed with connectivity in mind. So routes are not designated until they go all the way across the state, Um, or you know. Caltrans might designate 95 in two sections, like a northern half and a southern half, but it's not this same sort of piecemeal where it's like, well, we're going to have a route for a couple of blocks or a couple of miles and then it's just going to end. So that's really um, crucial and that's really why we've, um, you know, been so focused on LA is with all the, you know, it's not going to go through until uh, we work something out with LA um, so that it can go all the way through. And,
5: And that's being worked out?
0: It is, yes. And
5: it's gonna happen. Twenty. <laughs> When's the big I'm, reveal? When uh, are we having the party?
0: I would love to put a date on it. Um, you know, I think the reality is that um, you know this this COVID situation has thrown a monkey wrench into a lot of planning processes. Um, so I I don't know um, when that conversation will be will be finished, but um you know with eric's help and and the help of you know city council and the labac you know we've really been able to have conversations with dot that we weren't able to have before Mm -hmm.
5: and uh, we're gonna have some people from the labac on later i see them on now about uh so but politically this hasn't been difficult i mean eric once eric and mike bonin just paved the way it was it was all smooth.
1: Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know that the all the questions have been answered politically. I mean, I think, you know, we introduced a motion that really was kind of the basic level of, you know, yes, this is a good idea. Yes, we should officially, you know, take the first step, which is designating the route. Um, yes, we should do a, a base level of signage. Um, and then, you know, the, the motion asked um, the Department of Transportation to come back to us if there are opportunities to... Um, enhance bicycle infrastructure or promote bike tourism along the routes, then we want to hear what those are and consider those um, but those are you know th- those types of conversations will need to happen in in consultation with the affected communities and their elected representatives
3: is it, Does the motion have a good chance of passing? Do you feel
1: Oh, it already passed okay,
3: okay.
5: I may have been hyperbolic about uh, you and Mike Bonnet paving the way, but we have somebody on the call who come on later who says that. On almost every issue in L.A., Mike Bonin comes to the rescue on a white horse uh, at the last moment. And then his work is undone by the city council anyway. I think that was what the quote was. Would you Did I mean, that
1: happen in this case? That, 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 that is a, quite a sweeping characterization. Um, but, uh, you know, in this case, I'm pleased to report that the motion passed unanimously on, uh, I think it was March 5th or March 6th. Uh, Oh, no, March 4th. uh, And then the apocalypse hit approximately 12 days later. So, you know. (laughs) Uh,
3: How unfortunate. (laughs) Uh, But it's good news. And actually, I was reading, and Eric, maybe you know some of the inside info on this, but they uh, have put a lot of street maintenance and repaving on an accelerated schedule. And I've read that they're not, they're, they're lacking on implementing some of the cycling infrastructure that's been on hold or shovel ready, but hasn't been done yet. Have you been paying attention to, have you heard of that?
1: Very much so. Um, I think you're referring to the the streets LA adapt program. Um, I don't remember what adapt stands for it is an acronym that is uh, very creative. Um, But, but, you know, normally street services, um, their, their, their street maintenance program is kind of split between residential streets and commercial streets and the commercial streets have a lot of impact um, and the residential streets, you know, are typically easier. Safer at Home really flipped that where suddenly everybody is at home and, and isn't moving their cars and so paving minor streets is very hard, but all the businesses are shut down and so you have a huge opportunity to, um, to, to repave um, the, the major streets. And so Streets LA is taking full advantage of that, which ultimately saves um, you know, taxpayers a lot of money and it also minimizes impacts to businesses because they're closed anyway. Um, You know, the the opportunity when a street goes blank is always huge. It's a, you know, it's a conversation starter um, with communities. But I think the the key thing is that, you know, it's very hard to change, to radically transform a street without engaging the community authentically along that street, because you do need that community buy-in. And so what what we've been trying to do um, in the last few weeks and to to great success, um, you know, in terms of the the types of streets that will roll out moving forward, um, is try to direct Streets LA's attention to those streets where, where that community buy-in exists um, and say, hey, this community has been, you know, has gone through the outreach process. They're eagerly awaiting their bike lane. And, um, you know, but all we needed was that blank canvas so you can do the new project. Um, and that's, that conversation has been really good. Um, and Streets of LA has been really receptive to the idea that they should be shifting their resources um, to those types of areas where that that groundwork has been laid. So, you know, oh, that's great. Yeah, great. So we're not we're not at the stage where it's like, oh, my God, you know, a random block uh, on this major street and in, in the valley got, you know, got repaved. And so suddenly we're just going to like completely do something different than was there before. Um, but it makes a lot of sense to make sure that we are you know we are delivering uh, pavement to the to the communities that um, are ready to take advantage of what that pavement means for them.
3: Yeah because the backlash can be just uh, debilitating like if the community doesn't or you know somehow the community doesn't feel like it was engaged. Um, A lot of times the community is just everybody's busy they're doing their own things and they just don't have time to engage but you can engage and the people that do get the get things changed and sometimes that just shocks the system um speaking of shocking the system there's another segue nick what do you think that was a nice. good one right practicing. <laughs> we have uh, our next guest um nithya nithya raman who is a candidate for council district four. And she shocked, I think a lot of people because she came very close to toppling the incumbent David, David Rue. And uh, so she is going to be in the general in November. It's, it's, uh, it's an amazing run. And uh, we want to welcome Nithya. Nithya, um, let's see if your mic's plugged in. We're, uh, we're Hi, hey Nithya, how's it going?
6: I'm good. How are you guys?
3: Good. good. Thanks for first, joining. Yeah, first of all, congratulations. Thank you. On, yeah, yeah, that, I mean, in city, LA City Council, like reality of politics, like the incumbent usually wins by a landslide. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, we're talking establishment, we're talking, um, amazing that you came so close so we're going into the general we i can't wait to hear what's coming
2: yeah well i did want to take a moment to just um well thank you for having me again on the show it's so always a pleasure to be here um yeah i did want to talk a little bit about um it, it it was a very exciting moment and i think not everybody knows. I mean, it, obviously, immediately after the election, we were in, put into quarantine. Um, and so, you know, I think we just didn't have a chance to absorb what a uh, what an achievement it was or, or, or even to even to celebrate it, because, it, you know, now is not a real moment for celebration across the world. Um, but I am very proud of of what we did, essentially. We had, so, you know, the federal elections and the municipal elections were overlapping for the first time in LA. And in our campaign, we were really focused on trying to, you know, we didn't have to get people out to the polls, but we did need to get them to look down ballot and to convince them that a city council race mattered. And I think we were really able to show that, that our, our, our efforts worked. Like we had an army of volunteers um, out knocking on doors for us, we had hundreds of unique volunteers come out. I think more than any city council race I've ever witnessed. Um, we had you know people sharing our message on social media. We had people doing phone banking, text banking, writing postcards, and all of that combined meant that voter turnout for the city council race, like the number of voters that voted in the city council race in District Four. So it was obviously more than the previous race, right? It was pre- more than, so I alone got more votes than David Rue and Carolyn Ramsey got in the last general election to ah. get for the seat. So that's how much voter turnout turned mm. increased, you know, between one election to the other, but even in comparison to other council districts that were also up for election at this time, we had significantly higher voter turnout. So we had 11,000 more voters Uh, come out for our city race than in CD12, which was the next closest, and like 30,000 more than other districts that were up for election. And so that idea that if you go out and tell people, your city council matters, and here's why, and here's why you should care, I feel like that it really worked. Um, And then the other thing that I wanted to highlight was that we were able to do that at a time uh, when our, the incumbent had raised and spent a record-breaking amount of money for a city council race. So he spent over a million dollars, which is crazy. Like, I can't even- believe Unreal. It yeah. cost that much. Um, and, and we still managed to do as well as we did. We got 41% of the vote to his 45. Um, and another uh, candidate, Sarah Kate Levy, got about 14 or 15% as well. So it was, it, was, you know, it was a really exciting moment, and I think was incredibly exciting for, um, particularly, I think, for people who consider themselves progressives and a lot of people who, um, you know, were hoping for greater voter turnout across America for, for progressive candidates, which we didn't really necessarily see um, across the country. Um, but it was still exciting to see that happen in
5: Los Angeles. So yeah. And Don. Don, you're very political. (laughs) Um, I
3: just, like I said, like the way that things go here, it's what you've done is amazing. So now here's the thing. We've got a long time before the general months and we've got this COVID issue and all this. How is that impacting? Like, what does it look like moving forward? Is it lots of vote by mail? activism, you know, how can people get involved?
2: Yeah, so I think anybody who tells you that they know exactly what this election is going to look like, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. so all we can do is respond to the best information that we have available right now. Um, And I'm very, very fortunate to have still the support of those volunteers who turned out over and over again, who've all, you know, we've been reaching out to them, or they've been reaching out to us, and everyone is still incredibly excited about getting involved and, and staying involved. Um, and I think what we proved in the, in the primary um, is that we are a very nimble campaign, and we were able to use whatever advantages we had, and we had none of the regular political establishment's advantages, obviously, but whatever we did, we maxed, we maxed out. Um, and I think for the general, be able to do the same thing. So, you know, depending on what the world looks like between now and November, we might not ever get to knock on another door, but I think we will be able to figure out how to get in front of people and to spread the word again. And we, we can use and need all the volunteer support that we can get. So if people want to get involved, just hop on the website, it's nithyaforthecity.com and send us a, there's a sign up sheet to become a volunteer. Um, we do need money. We're raising money again for the general. Unfortunately, elections in LA are expensive. It's a huge district. Um, but if you have an LA address where money gets um, a 6 to 1 match from the city, so it's an incredibly good investment of your dollars in, in local politics. So we would love, if you can make a donation, we'd love a donation. Um, if you can volunteer, please volunteer please spread the word, follow us on social media, share the message. Um, but we have six months to go. So you know we have a long time for people to get engaged and get involved and, and, and really, um, I think, get the word out about the fact that change is possible in LA.
5: Don, do you want to talk about why Rue has been a thorn in, our, in some people's side?
3: <laughs> Rue has, um, you know, on, on the ground, there are a lot of little battles, you know, quarter mile long, mile long stretches of road where Rue has stepped in and blocked certain safe streets configurations. So that's the kind of hope that I have um, for Nithya also is that I've I've heard her speak so empathetically about, you know, vulnerable user transportation that that I really believe that um, she would be a better uh, advocate for for you know safe streets and, and transit and so forth in our city. So, and uh, that being said too, um, I you know we we have Eric Bruins with us. He's he's the uh, he's the uh, transportation policy director with uh, Mike Bonin. So um, we had him on an earlier segment, but Mithia, we wanted to introduce you to uh, Eric as well because he's he's also um, uh, you know, I would I would consider him to be on on our side um, in the in the fight for you know safer streets. So, Eric, uh, you're still with us, yeah? I'm still here. Hi, Eric. Right. Hi. Hello. Hi.
1: Great to meet you too.
2: And I'm excited to learn from you.
1: Thank you.
3: Yeah, Eric has a lot of experience. He was with the C B C beforehand, and um, the guy has miles in his legs. I've seen the. i've seen the social media so Uh,
2: well also just like hearing you talk about quarter miles like uh man we gotta think beyond quarter miles here
3: (laughs) uh yeah i mean you did propose that we should move forward with an emergency bike lane or emergency bike route network in los angeles for folks yeah
1: did i Uh, which which, which one of us are you talking about
3: (laughs) or you you propose support for it i'm sorry yeah i was talking about yeah we we're we're trying to in some place get through emergency uh bike route system for los angeles and nithya you either express support for that or i got mixed up i'm sorry i'm trying to read off this uh, sheet we have here.
2: Um, haven't about that on, on, we haven't talked about that since the, since COVID. Um, we I did talk about a network of bike lanes as part of the um, policy platform. We issued we um, did a pretty detailed uh, environment policy and uh, increasing access to a network of bicycle lanes, protected bike lanes in particular across the city was, was, was such a central part of that platform. So I've definitely talked about that before. We haven't talked about it in the context of COVID, but we will be talking about it in the coming weeks um, in terms of just like thinking about what, how does this change our thinking for Los Angeles going forward? Um, how can we plan uh, for a healthier city in the future, um, building on the lessons that we're learning right now so uh, I again, Eric um, and you know everyone in the bike talk community, I'm really excited to learn from you uh, about how we can incorporate lessons from this moment into the future. Um, and I'm also excited because I think I think we talked about this when I was on last time Dawn, like I never thought I would be running for office, but I've been a long right. advocate and an activist at a nonprofit leader in recent years and a nonprofit worker before that. And I've I think one of the most exciting things about a campaign is that in a way it's a way to lift ideas and and have them have potency. Um it, you know, even compared to working in a nonprofit and lifting those same ideas. Like I feel like a campaign is a uniquely kind of um, special platform from which to share ideas. So I'm really excited to, to, I did, we did a lot of that in the primary, but I'm I'm very excited to keep doing that, um, in, in the general and, and to really, uh, you know, this is such an incredibly sad moment, um, for the world. Um, but I hope that we can, you know, build a better world out of it. That's that's the only thing that can come out of it for me.
5: Well, we've been talking a lot about that, about um, opening. There's somebody on this call right now, Adrian Hoff, who's with an organization called Streets for All. And they're the ones, Don, who have proposed to have an emergency network of of uh, open streets because sidewalks are too narrow for people to pass each other on them.
3: Gotcha, okay, yeah, my bad, sorry. I'm just reading through these notes here and getting a little bit mixed up. So we'll edit that somehow, I think, to make up for that, right? right.
1: Don, I think you might also be referring to, and this is, you know, Streets for All has been definitely a huge part of of this conversation. (laughs) Uh, But but um, we've been working with a couple of our neighborhood councils over on the west side um, to do kind of a, a network of slow streets. Um, which are, you know, they're, they're much more of the neighborhood network. So they're, they're not really, they wouldn't be seen as pop-up bike lanes. It's much more about, um, you know, residential streets where the sidewalks are too narrow and suddenly everybody is home and cramped up and trying to walk around and we need to support social distancing in the neighborhood. Um, so we've, we've been very much looking at how we can, we can bring that to some of our neighborhoods, particularly where there's multifamily housing. You know, if you have a parkour neighborhood, um, people don't really have options um, and, and other than to reclaim some, some street space um, for that, m- that mental health break of, of walking around.
5: Eric, is there any chance that Mike Bonham will support Nithya? Uh, I think I, I
1: don't do any of the political side of, that, of, <laughs> of our stuff, so I will decline to, to comment.
3: That's a tough ask. You can't ask a sitting council member to endorse someone against an incumbent that's a tough ask but if anyone would do it mike bonner might do it he i think he did it for he practically did it for lorraine lundquist but but i guess not yeah that's a tough ask
5: well she was an environmentalist too totally
3: totally I wouldn't be surprised though. O'Farrell did oh. it in 2017 as Adrian Hoff. We might as well bring Adrian on.
7: Hey guys, how you doing?
3: Hey Adrian, good to have you
5: back on.
7: Yeah, good to be back on. Hope everybody's holding <laughs> up well during these crazy times.
5: Yeah, we are good. I'm good. Don's good.
3: <laughs> I'm I'm good. I'm so blessed. Thank thankful to have a place to live. So I'm very thankful about that. This is a scary situation. So.
7: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and as a big reason why Street Sprawl has been trying to advocate for slow streets and um, like within the neighborhoods and then also the potential of taking major streets and removing a traffic lane to use that to essentially extend the sidewalks. I mean, aside from just essential workers getting to and from their place of employment, like not everybody can afford a car. That's not an option for everybody. And so it's, it's, an, it's a necessity in our opinion to keep everybody safe to do that. And with the neighborhood streets, that's going to be really vital as these weeks go on with just keeping people sane and healthy. I mean, we're seeing so many people flocking to the beaches and, and defying the orders. And if we gave more space for active mobility and for people to just exist in their neighborhoods, we wouldn't be seeing as much of the crowding at trails and beaches. Mm
5: -hmm. I mean, that's the theory. Yeah. And so they're doing it in Oakland with their slow streets. They're doing it all over the world, right?
7: Yeah, all over. Um, Minneapolis is doing it. Um, I mean, they're one of the the most progressive in the Midwest. And I'm from the Midwest as well, too. And so I can attest to the fact that this time of year, coming out of a brutal, long winter, you need to get outside. Like, come March and April, your seasonal depression is going to crush you if you don't take on the, the, the sunlight that's finally starting to to come out. So it really makes sense that Minneapolis did that. So that's great. Uh, and, I mean, like we certainly don't have winters like like the upper Midwest does, but people are gonna want to take advantage of the weather that we pay so much in rent for to enjoy. <laughs>
1: I mean, one of the cruel uh, ironies of Los Angeles, and this is something, you know, we, we are the only experience that we've had really with open streets is Ciclovia. Um, and so of course, you know, when you start talking with policymakers about what open streets means, they immediately think of Ciclovia and the, and the, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that swarm into the streets. And so it's very difficult to conceptualize ideas that, you know, that reclaim streets from from cars that don't Um, immediately result in that and you know that's really a testament to just how starved we are for recreational opportunities particularly in our neighborhoods Um, but it but it's you know it's it's amazing you know other other places where they aren't so park poor um, or the the parks are more distributed throughout the, the 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 cities you know they haven't had the same park closures and beach closures and trail closures that we've had here um, and it really, you know, it speaks very, it's, it, it's a very acute thing here in Los Angeles where we have so little park space per person. And, you know, it is in these regional hubs that the, the disease transmission risk um, was, was really high. Um, and So we need to innovate a little bit here on, on models that, um, you know, that can not be overwhelmed immediately and we have to do, launch something at a scale that um, that can accommodate the demand for it, which I think is is a unique challenge here in Los Angeles. And I think the other thing that we really have to think about as we do try to scale up is uh, there are a lot of uh, a lot of neighborhoods that are really struggling to pay rent right now. Um, you know, they're struggling to put food on the table. Um, and, you know, the last thing that we want to be in a position of either is, you know, trying to go out in, into different neighborhoods um, who haven't identified this as their top need and say, "Hey, I know you're trying to pay rent, but I'd like to talk to you about open streets," because that conversation cannot go well. And so, right, right. as as advocates for um, for biking and walking and, and active transportation and public space and all all the good things that we want to see, I do think that we also, you know need to take a breath and recognize the severity of the moment that we're in for different folks, and really meet them where they're at and be receptive to you know, there are there are communities where they they're they're literally like, where am I going to get my next meal? And if you're not helping them get their next meal, a you probably should be um, and b you know, respect the fact that they don't have capacity to engage on on your pet issue. and and figure something else out.
3: You know, there's the other side of the coin now is that the the forces that be are working against us still. Like, I don't know, what it be like apathy or uh, just, you know, just general lobbying or whatever it is, they're still working against our cause,
5: you know, so I don't know. So so, Laura, I saw you at the uh, LA Bicycle Advisory Committee. Nithya, are you familiar with the LA Bicycle Advisory Committee?
2: Um, I've read about it, but I, um, I don't know that I could recite the facts off the top of my head.
5: Because they're here. Well.
3: <laughs> Yeah, they're they're a very ominous presence. In, no, they're actually um, a an, an appointed board, a council appointed board. And I think the mayor gets four appointments, and every council member gets one appointment. And it's an advisory committee, and it's it's pretty much just advisory, right, Eric? Wouldn't you say their power is pretty advisory and sort they of, are here almost ignored by the city
1: (laughs) it's an advisory group Um, i mean i think that you know we we can we can talk about how uh, we can make their advice more influential but i would say you know they're a great way to socialize ideas um, with the you know particularly with department staff that do make themselves accessible um Mm -hmm. and you know they uh we we get good ideas from from all kinds of places our neighborhood councils bike advisory committee the pedestrian advisory committee um, you know, we we care more about whether the idea is good than where it comes from. Right
3: on. Okay, we have Jennifer Gill from the LA Bicycle Advisory Committee. So Jennifer, we also have uh,
5: Taylor Nichols and Abe Chang. So
3: all from that's... the Bicycle Advisory Committee. Yeah, bring hey, them all Don. on.
6: Hey, Nichols, hey. can you guys hear us or not? Yeah. Nithya, can you yeah. hear me? Yeah. Hey, this is You're Taylor good. Nichols. I'm on the LABAC, and I I, I love your candidacy. Uh, Nithya, and I'm I'm curious to hear you talk a little bit about uh, how you see bicycles fitting into the future of LA, especially after this COVID 19 COVID 19 period where uh, the streets are really changing. I, I think we've been talking about going out for bike rides and how much more comfortable it is. My wife, who is a non-biker, has been enjoying riding these past few weeks, and I'm curious to hear you talk a little bit about how you think we could use. This COVID nineteen period to propel Los Angeles into a more bicycle friendly um, city.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I'm sure Eric probably has thought about this more um, than me. And I will say that you know one of the things that's been interesting. So, so I'm just speaking from my personal experience of this moment in 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 LA. I have two little ones. I have uh, a four-year-old twins, and I feel more homebound than I think other people do. I mean, of course, we're all supposed to be safer at you know staying at home, but I have a bicycle, and I still haven't taken it out for a ride yet because right, right, I, right. Between mm-hmm. child care, doing the work for the campaign, and sharing time from with my husband to do that kind of work. Um. So what's been one interesting thing for me about this is that I don't have a sense of how this moment has really transformed being on the roads.
6: Oh. You know,
2: like I don't have a visceral experience of that yet. Right. Um,
6: well, I, 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 I thought what Eric was saying was so great about, about opening up some streets um, space, what Streets for All is doing. And the LA, LABAC just passed a motion to get the city council to also think about yeah opening up some you know pavement <laughs> uh for pedestrians and and people yeah. in the neighborhoods
2: yeah and i think the one thing that i think has been so markedly different for me so this is just like you know this is my world now my world is much smaller than it was before and the thing that has been so markedly different about this time is the air that the air is yeah. so much better and it's like so um so I mean visceral the difference are so tactile so real and I feel like we talked about the air a lot when we were talking about transport options in our um in the primary like we talked about it a lot when we were out doing you know events or talked about our transport plan or talked about as as clean air as a possibility for Los Angeles and as a um uh, something that we could achieve you know but it it did seem very far away and I feel like one one result of this moment is that I think we can see really that it is within our grasp you know so I feel like in some ways the thing that has come and so this is not a direct answer to your question about like opening up streets right now or opening up streets during this moment for safe streets or whatever but I do feel like the argument for getting people out of their cars feels so much more tangible now because we've all felt it and we felt it right now, you know?
6: Right. And And we can do it, right?
2: We can do it. It's within our grasp. And so many people's work has been possible despite not, I mean, obviously so many people have lost their jobs and it's just... It's just like the levels of unemployment are absolutely staggering. It's like, you know, incomprehensible. I read the numbers and I don't know how to comprehend it. But I do think for other people who thought that they had to go to an office all the time, who are able to continue with their work from home, again, a different way of living seems possible now. And so I think that, for me, that's the most tangible, because ultimately it is about building community support for these changes and making sure that people buy into a vision for the future. And I think- because we've experienced it now, maybe there will be more purchase for those kinds of arguments, which seemed more limited before, um, because so many more of us have experienced it at this moment.
6: Right, yeah, great. Yeah, thank you.
8: Yeah, hi, this is Jennifer Gill, and um, I'm the Vice Chair with Ta- and Taylor's on our committee for the Los Angeles Bicycle Advisory Committee with Taylor and Abe Chang. And um, Abe Chang and I come from the east side of town. I'm uh, the rep for Cedillo, and uh, Abe Chang is for, is the rep for Wesson, right, Abe?
6: Right, Herb Wesson. I'm actually right on the border of um, Council District 10 and Council District 4. I think 4 wow. is like a block away from me.
8: Okay. And so we had some good news today, actually, um, regarding 7th Street. I am um, I live right off 7th Street and Abe uses it all the time to go to, to downtown LA. So Abe, do you want to talk about it? You were the one who knew about it before I did. So would you talk about that?
0: Um,
6: sure. I mean, the only thing I knew about and I hope I'm not going too much off on a tangent, but um, if you've ever been through downtown, you'll know that they've recently just repaved 7th Street. Um, currently, there are no markers or Um, paint lines anywhere there but i believe if i heard correctly they are actually going to start installing some ballers and turning seven screen to protected bike lane which it
8: was not before by Um, the end of the month by the end of may is what she said we hope it happens but it's really good news because we're in constant contact with lamise i don't know if anybody if any of you know lamise uh chang do you know her anybody
6: yes who is it
8: yes and and she's been up you know as minute i asked her about it she immediately responded so i'm i'm not sure if the route 66 people if it would be helpful for them to know her um you know the route 95 and the 66 people because i know you were talking about coming down willoughby and taylor you know about that right yeah yeah and going over to Santa Monica, which is I was at. I asked Kent to come on, but um, he, he he deferred to Taylor, and to Michael well, Schneider. Laura,
6: Laura, from from Ad, Adventure Cycling and the uh, U.S. Uh, bicycle Route System came to the L.A.B.A.C. meeting last month, and and we talked a lot about what the actual route might be. Some of it would be on Santa Monica Boulevard, but then some of it would cut down to Willoughby. And I know this is getting a little bit in, inside baseball, but uh, yeah. Willoughby, we're planning on turning into a neighborhood friendly street, which would really design it not for the ways cut through traffic, but for uh, people who, who wanna go about the same speed as the automobiles, You know, about 12, 15 miles an hour. So it'd be oh. a great route oh. for the yeah. uh, national bike route to take them west to the ocean.
5: Yeah, all right, you- this is like,
6: it, like being in a BAC
5: meeting.
8: It is. Oh, sorry.
6: So, it sorry. is actually.
5: <laughs> no, don't, apologize. We have three don't
8: apologize. So we're So we're good. We're not, out, we're not <laughs> off form or anything.
6: So, Eric, don't report well, but, us but to it, Bonin,
8: okay? But
6: it was so great to have Laura come and, and speak in front of our group and tell us a little bit about what she's doing because it, it really is a wonderful uh, 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 asset for any community. And we would love it to have it go through ours. And I'm sure that. Uh, Nithya, you would, too, if you were the, uh, uh, you know, council member for CD4 and I'm for Paul Carette CD5 and we certainly wanted to come to our area. Yeah, it's
2: really exciting.
6: Oh, good.
3: So- well, Nithya, you know, Nithya promised us that she'd be with us till seven and I know that she oh. has to get to her young ones.
2: I'm so sorry guys. Uh, I was invited to this, I think this morning, right?
3: Yeah, oh. you came on quick. We love having you on. You're thank so inspiring you. to me.
2: My yeah, profile. Right I've down.
3: definitely Yeah, I've definitely got my Nithya um yes. Facebook profile thing. So, <laughs> <Right>. I hope <laughs> right, you well, win,
8: Nithya. Yeah. 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 Thank
3: yeah. you
2: so much. And I wanna be in touch with all of you, so I'll hopefully get connected to you guys through um, through the hosts and thank you again so much. It's always a pleasure. And I'm really excited to continue this conversation all the way to November. <laughs> okay. yeah.
6: Take care. Good. yeah. Good, good. Go. Thanks again. Like the vote.
5: Yes. vote.
8: Yeah. Like
5: the vote. Like the vote. Wow. <laughs> Bike the
3: vote. You know, it's great to have our guests on. Eric. Yeah. Um, thanks for coming on, man. I'm so excited for you that you're working for Mike Bonin, who's my favorite council member ever and of all time, except for maybe Rosenthal. Um, Rosenthal is a, a special character. I but, think Mike uh, would say the same thing. Yeah, I think so too.
6: Hey, Eric, man, I fucking love that you're, oh, sorry. I love that you're all there also. And uh, I've been hearing a lot about how Paris and Barcelona are, are planning to use COVID-19 as a way of, of changing the public's perception of the streetscape, you know, a little bit along the lines of what I asked Nithya. I'm, I'm curious, what do you think uh, uh, Mike Bonin and you guys can get accomplished? You know, using, you know, taking the Rahm Emanuel uh, line about, you know, never never let a, an emergency go to waste. What do you think you guys can can get accomplished?
1: I mean, it, it's a good question. Uh, I, I, I will say, you know, I think that, um, LA is a very diverse place and I think that we really have to respect that everyone in every community is feeling this current situation very differently. Right, uh um, sure. And so, you know, even even just the the framing is is of that conversation is so important because, you know, you you, you roll into a community that is disproportionately impacted by by, you know, this crisis based on um, you know all kinds of historical inequities and you talk about what a great opportunity we have they're going to be like get out of here I mean right with that, with that stuff um, well, you know, that, I, that doesn't I certainly you know, didn't
6: mean that so so thank you for for um, clarifying that because that's not what I meant at all I meant you know how do we find the positive in the negative
1: right and and, and that's really where you know some of the things that Nithya said you know do do resonate in terms of um, you know People are connecting with their neighborhoods in ways that um, are are kind of new. You know, L.A. is, is an area, is a is a place. Um, you know, our our civic engagement is not always where I think a lot of us wish it would be. Um, but you you know, we've seen grassroots volunteer networks, mutual aid networks pop up. We've seen you know people volunteering to deliver meals to seniors. We've seen folks volunteering at the at the food bank distributions. We've seen such a a resurgence in that kind of activity and and civic spirit and I think that's a strong foundation to build on and I also you know I I think that folks are walking around the neighborhood um, and they're they're seeing you know what are the essential businesses that are open within walking distance or biking distance Um, people are you know seeing what it could look like with blue skies and lower traffic volumes and I think um, you know so those that does um, you know open some conversations about how could how, how could we, um, you know, make those, those benefits last beyond the crisis? Um, but, I, you know, it, but I think we need to talk about recovery in, in a way that really does honor what people are experiencing. But I also think, you know, the way that that conversation needs to go is we need to say, hey, normal wasn't good enough. You know, so, so the goal with recovery is to get back to some level of, you know, you know, we want a thriving economy, we want all of the things, you know, we want good jobs, we want, um, but we also want more equitable communities, we want, um, you know, more of the good stuff. And, you know, we need to rank, we need to recognize that the old normal didn't work for a lot of people. And we need to engage those same people in, you know, establishing what the new normal looks like. Um, and that's the the recovery conversation that we need to have and transportation is a piece of that and and you know and active transportation is a piece of that and transit is a huge piece of that. Oh my god. Right. Um, but I think, you know, really recognizing uh, and meeting people on their level, I think is what's going to start those conversations and I, you know, I think we're all going to have to go through that together. Um, and it's hard to at this point uh, presuppose what that recovery looks like. I think that a lot of that's going to require Um, deeper engagement and and really thoughtful reflection at the neighborhood level and and bubbling up to the council um, and and citywide from there. Um, But, you know, we're definitely looking at a lot of what other cities around the country and around the world are are doing in this moment and thinking through um, really intentionally what that could mean for Los Angeles,
5: Eric, and everyone I hear Taylor's enthusiasm, and I share it. And I've also heard a lot of the I, you might call it backlash or something to, to that enthusiasm because it can seem I guess not to not really he'd be hearing but, or giving to be tone deaf even though I'm, I'm I am tone deaf uh, in that way and I'm wondering you know a lot of times that when we get a lot of bike lanes uh, and the infrastructure we want it comes from like in New York when Bloomberg was there he put in tons of bike lanes and then we got bike lanes because Mayor Villaraigosa had gotten an accident while riding a bike. And, you know, in Paris, it seemed like the mayor just made it happen. And it, probably in Bogota, Ciclovía, I don't know, came from, it seems like so often it comes from above. It, are there a lot of examples of how to work with communities at the grassroots level to, to make it happen with community support? Like the kind of, the kind of, uh, infrastructure that we would need need to really respond to, let's say, climate change in a meaningful way.
1: I mean that that is, you know, the the huge question. You know, Los Angeles is a um, is a very big place. Um, there are you know ninety some odd uh, recognized neighborhoods, um, and you know, typically what happens in in Los Angeles it is a very bottoms up. Um, so you know, something some community tries something, another community notices it and says, "Hey, I want that here," and then that that change kind of trickles sideways that way. Because um, our government is, you know, here in in LA is is not really designed to be top down. Um, and sometimes, you know, when you do do things that are top down here, it can uh, it can drive some backlash. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that that's a, a, a relatively unique thing here to Los Angeles. I mean, every, every city is going to have that to some extent. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the theory of change here does have to take into account, um, that it's that change is only sustainable. Um, if, uh, you know, if, if the community really embraces it, because, you know, it's, you can, you can go out with a can of paint, but paint can be erased too. Um, and so if, if you know, it's not just you do things in one direction. If you, if you you don't really focus on that authentic engagement, um, it becomes very difficult to sustain um, what you do put in.
5: Were you with Bonin all the way through the Great Streets debacle? Um,
1: I I joined Um, just after, um, after some of that happened.
5: Because you have experienced what happens when you don't engage the community beforehand, but how would you have engaged? Well, I think, differently.
1: I mean, what I'll, what I'll say is that, you know, uh, Playa del Rey and Mar Vista were different projects. Um, you know, in, in, in Playa del Rey, I think that there were a lot of criticisms about um, not enough deep engagement, particularly with the um, scale of transformation that was, was, was done. And to be quite honest, that's why that, that project was pulled out. Um, because we, you know, when we started getting uh, pushback, Um, if you took an honest assessment of um, how folks in that community felt about it, um, there were still a lot of, a lot of, you know, community champions put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into, into those projects and they were um, in response to a real need. Um, But, but the wider community did not feel engaged and I, and we could not um, in good conscience look at the amount at the, Engagement that was done and the, and the level of transformation, and say that was appropriate. Um, in Mar Vista, it was very different. There were several years uh, through the Mayor's Great Streets Program, which was very much community forward. Um, there was a, there were a lot of conversations, um, a lot of engagement, a lot of support from the business community, particularly the Mar Vista Chamber of Commerce, and support from the Neighborhood Council at the time. Um, and so, you know, that process, um, you know, did did a lot of engagement. And it's always, you know, one of those things where um, folks, uh, after the fact, will always, you know, will say, "Oh, I didn't hear about it. I didn't hear about it." But when you really did talk to, you know, the leaders of the opposition, even in Mar Vista, um, you know, folks will say, "Oh, yeah, I did participate in that. Um, I may not have understood it. It could have been clearer." Um, but very few people in Mar Vista were like. This project was completely new to me when it went in. Um, and so that's a different conversation because then you can say, hey, you know, let's talk about, you know, how we got here, um, what the goals were, is the project meeting the goals, but it's a different conversation because folks were, were brought in and weren't blindsided. Um, and that's the level of in-depth engagement that we do need to figure out how to scale up. Um, in, a, in a way, because that, that's why the project is still there.
5: You talked about the theory of change and, and being sustainable. But I think some people think that, you know, people are never going to accept some things until they see it in action. Like businesses may never accept taking away parking spaces until they see that their business is not decreased
6: after taking away parking spaces. Yeah. That's a great point. I think, Nick, it's tough. It's tough to sell that. Uh, but that's a great point. Yeah, and we, you know, we've been trying to
1: be we've been trying to be nimble with, uh, you know, more tactical type treatments, um, you know, and, and to a certain extent, even the Great Street um, was done with, you know, a lot of paint and bollards. There was a lot of concrete work too on the on the pedestrian side. Um, but yeah, you know, we want people to it, it's that it's that careful balance of people don't know how to ask for something they've never seen. Um, but you do need to make sure that you're authentically presenting something that meets, you know, their their desires.
3: Okay. Nick, you remember when we went to that barbecue with the folks from uh, what was the name of their group? Restore it- Venice or something? <laughs> was it
5: Restore yeah. Venice? Yeah, I think. Was it Restore? Selena? Venice? They, or-
3: yeah, they were like pro Bonin allegedly. No,
5: they and then, they weren't. They weren't pro Bonin. They, they were pro
3: Bonin. Yeah, they were. They were like, we like Bonin. We just want Venice to be back. And it was like once we got into the, oh my god. Once we got into the weeds with uh now I got all the bullshit in my background. Once we got into the weeds about what was uh possible, they they started to sort of they started to like the idea of of implementing things in their own neighborhoods. They're just afraid of the cut through traffic. Hmm. Do you talk to people like that, Eric? Do you get into conversations with folks that are Generally, I know there's a bunch of hecklers, but generally supportive people. But they're, you're still finding yourself having to sell it to those folks how to the, the Great Streets program and so forth.
1: I mean, our our office prides itself on being very accessible to constituents, and so we we engage with um, with everybody with all kinds of different opinions. Um, and I've engaged with you know directly with with everybody you've mentioned so far um, in various community uh, forums and and individually and and whatnot. Um, you know, so and and I, I will say also that you know you mentioned a lot of folks do have a lot. You know, they. They they care about their commercial streets, but they really care about their neighborhood streets and making right. And and that the cut through traffic is is a real issue. Um, That's a real problem in in Los Angeles, and particularly on the west side, where you do have a lot of east west arterials. All of them, you know, they tend to get backed up um, around four o'clock and heading east out of Santa Monica, um, thanks to all of the office development right on the Santa Monica border um but you know there there are very few north south arterials and there is there is a you know we can talk about in, in, induced demand all we want but there is a legitimate lack of roadway capacity in certain directions on the west side um the grid was not laid out for the the amount of um you know people that we have there and so the only way out of that is is to move people more efficiently in more efficient modes and less space um but you know getting from the the experience of that, that gridlock, which is a very visceral experience, um, to then, uh, you know, uh, turn around and say, Oh, actually, you know, this can be different and better. It, 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 it takes um, a lot of trust building along the way. Um, and that's, you know, that takes work. Laura, do you
0: hear
3: these kind of conversations across the country?
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, do you
3: have people, allies in every, every city? Uh, or are there some cities that are just outright
0: opposed? Well, I think there's always, there will always be people that are opposed because that's just sort of the nature. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, the number one thing you have to do is is give people that space to say their piece. And then, you know, need you figure out, well, what's really at the the root of this? And, and what might we be able to do together, uh, you know, Because a lot of times I think it's not necessarily about people on bikes. It's about something else. Um, And and having that conversation is important.
3: All right. Well, we want to thank all our guests tonight. That was actually a great conversation. A lot of knowledge, power, and everything right there. That was Bike Talk on KPFK live stream. This is Don Ward and your co-host Nick Richard saying see ya."
8: Bye.
6: my way and transportation shows i care every turn of the pedal cleans the air green the green i'm saving the planet just like my friends Dale sean toby and janet
4: no greenhouse gas a tiny carbon footprint up your ass i'm on a motherfucking
5: bike thanks for listening to this episode of the bike talk if you want to hear more go to kpfk.org navigate to programs and choose bike talk on the bike talk page click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the rss link to subscribe our twitter handle is bike talk pfk on facebook we are bike talk you can become friends and join our group